Welcome back to That Wasn't In My Textbook podcast, the place we come bi-weekly to help us uncover the things we always wish we learned from that boring, bulky textbook. I'm your host, Toya, and you're now listening to episode seven on the history of USPS, also known as the United States Postal Service. Friday, everyone. And welcome to all the new listeners. Every week, we're getting a little bit more listeners. So I just want to welcome you. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Before we jump into today's episode, you know, I couldn't continue without acknowledging that today is 9-11, the day that the Twin Towers came crashing down. And as a New Yorker, as a Harlemite, I will always remember where I was on this day. Uh, I was in boarding school in Massachusetts, and it's a long story, but it was a very hard day to not be in New York on this day and to not be able to be in contact with family and friends. It was rather scary, but um, I just wanted to start out this episode by just acknowledging those that we lost on this tragic and historic day and also you know thanking those who were on the front lines that also may have passed or remained um you know we appreciate you so anyone else feeling a little heavy through the state of the world or is that just me i'm an empath i'm a person who has like an abnormal ability to you know feel the mental and emotional state of another and at this point of this world and so lately I've been feeling kind of down and unable to be creative and productive due to the state of the world um so if you're feeling that way you're not alone uh I just want to let you know your historian homie here is with you and we are going to just take it one day at a damn time you know what I'm saying but speaking of that, I am happy that I was able to do this episode talking about creativity, lacking creativity here. Um, and I am really, and I learned a lot doing research for this episode because today's episode on USPS that's what we're just going to call it all day. I'm not going to say United States Postal Service every time, just for the sake of time and my tongue. You know what I mean? I was inspired to do this episode because there's just been a lot of talk, you know, as we get closer and closer and closer to elections uh, in November that people are talking about, you know, mail-in ballots because a lot of people here in America are home or they want to safely vote from home because of COVID-19. And so there's been a lot of discussion and debate about are their ballots going to count because USPS is in debt and there's been some things that the orange man and his homies have been doing to kind of mess up mailing systems and the tracking systems and people getting their mail. So I felt like 
let's figure out what's going on with USPS. Let's first talk about the history because, you know, that's what we do. At, that wasn't in my textbook podcast. And then let's talk about the current status of USPS and how that will affect us, if it will affect us, in November. So today is a solo dola episode. It's just me, your historian homie, Toya. Uh, And I haven't done one of these episodes since episode two. So I'm really excited to just be talking to y'all one-on-one, you know, mad intimate. I thought we would kick off this episode just spitting out some facts about USPS that you might not know that are pretty cool to know. So let's go over four facts about USPS. Fact numero uno. Black folks have been involved unofficially in delivery of mail since the beginning of, can you guess, slavery. Ding, 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 ding. In the South, colonizers, you know, white folks who enslaved people, use black folks, enslaved black folks, to deliver mail and packages between towns and plantations. And that's how it was in the beginning. But then, you know, colonizers and and people who enslave folks, what they call themselves masters, right? They got a little shook and they were like, okay, we can't, we, we got to cut this out. We can't let enslaved people deliver mail. They got shook because there was a well-planned out slave rebellion in 1791 in the French colony, Saint-Domingue, which is present-day Haiti. So once that well-planned-out rebellion happened in the island of Haiti and it got back to the South, they were like, okay, we're not going to let black folks, enslaved black folks, deliver mail because they'll communicate, they could plan a rebellion, and we ain't having that. Fact number three, if you wanted to get your mail before the Civil War, you had to physically go to the post office. Nobody was dropping mail off at your door. You weren't getting no Amazon Prime boxes at your door, okay? But um, the Civil War changed people's mind. And in 1863, there was the free city delivery. And this dude named Joseph Briggs, who was a postal clerk in Ohio, saw that there was, you know, one day he just saw that there was um, a lot of women like waiting outside in the cold in line outside the post office to get mail to hear from their husbands and loved ones that were fighting in the war. And he was just, and it came, the idea came to him like, why don't we send mail to people's houses? So that was an innovation. That was like a idea that kind of sparked off from the civil war. Another thing that sparked off from the civil war, um, and this delivery service was money orders so that union soldiers could send money home safely. And so, yeah, that's fact number three. That's how we got door-to-door mail. And fact number four is that in the mid-19th century, so like the 1800s, recipients, not the sender, usually had to pay for postage on the letters that they got. Yeah, that's right. If I sent you a letter right now, back then, you would have to pay for what I sent you. Which is, which is crazy. But I think they used to do that for cell phones. They used to make people pay 
when people called you, right? When people call you from international numbers, don't you have to pay for that? I don't know. I haven't done that in a while. Anyway, so this resulted in people being like, I'm not, I don't want my mail then. Like if I have to pay for it, I don't want it. And so there was a lot of return to sender mail back then. But you know, with the invention of the stamp, we eliminated that whole freaking problem. So those are the four facts about USPS that you should know. Now, Another thing that I think is important for us to look at is the relationship between the postal office and the black community. Because like we already learned from fact number one, you know, black folks have unofficially been involved in delivery of mail since slavery. Right. And then today, you know, a lot of us, a lot of black folks represent a significant number of postal service employees. And so there has been this long history of black people and the post office that represents, you know, advancement, like opportunities for black folks, but also on the flip side, like everything in America also represents some discrimination. So you really see black folks enter into the U.S. Postal Service once the Civil War happens, you know, during Reconstruction. So when the North wins and the South is salty that they lost and that, you know, slaves are free, that's when you see a lot of black folks start getting hired to work as a part of USPS. And during that time, they didn't really um, track the like race of who was working there, but it is believed that it was close to 500 black folks were working there. And some of them had like really high positions. One of the highest positions is known as the postmaster, which is like this boss position which means that you are a head of a post office. You manage the people in the post office. You double check the routes. You manage, you know, the everyday of the post office, the stamps, all that other stuff. That's the postmaster. That's the boss. So there was also, there was believed that there was 116 postmasters during Reconstruction. And, you know, that that employment really shows kind of like integration that was being made in the post office. And we ain't going to say everywhere else. The earliest known black postmaster is James Mason, and he was appointed to Sunnyside, Arkansas in 1867. Working for the post office was a really good stable position, especially for anybody, but especially for black folks coming out of, you know, being enslaved. So at the time in the 1860s, the highest paid black postmaster made $4,000. Now I know if you're listening, you're like $4,000 a year. That ain't nothing. You know what I'm saying? But I did some calculations thanks to an inflation calculator and four thousand dollars in eighteen sixty seven is include is equivalent to seventy two thousand dollars today. That's a pretty penny. You know what I'm saying? Like you could live off of that right now. Imagine in eighteen sixty seven 
you could possibly you remember slavery or you're you know what I mean? Or you could have been formerly a slave enslaved person. And now you're making four thousand dollars a year delivering mail. That's that's not too shabby. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of black folks also use the post office as a stepping stone to enter into politics like Pierre Laundry, who was a postmaster in Louisiana. And he later became the first African-American mayor in Donna's Villa, Louisiana. Now, I know we're focusing on postmasters, but being a letter carrier was also a big deal and a very, very good position. In the 1800s, there's believed to be like 150 black letter carriers. In D.C., there were like 15 black letter carriers at that time, and 10 out of the 15 ended up being chosen to be the honorary pallbearers at Frederick Douglass's funeral in February of 1895. And, you know, when you got these jobs, you made money, you got respect, and they printed it in the newspapers. In the North and the South, they were run articles that would list black postmasters, carriers, and clerks. So you were, like, semi-famous and lit, you know what I mean? But... There's always a but, guys. <laughs> there are many. There were many challenges to being black and working for the post office. It wasn't all hearts and flowers, especially after Reconstruction. We start to see some of the discrimination seep into the post office. A lot of black postal employees experienced a lot of hate and hostility and violence from white folks, like. People were burning postmasters' homes. They were attacking them. One guy's house got shot up. I mean, it's crazy. They were really trying to force a lot of people who were postmasters, like all the way at the top, to resign. Like with Mimi Cox, she was a boss lady. I was going to call her a boss ass bitch, but I don't want to be disrespectful to my ancestors. So (laughs) she was a boss, and she's believed to be one of the first black women to be a postmaster and she was a postmaster and like in Lenola, Mississippi and Roosevelt, you know, she was appointed by different people. Roosevelt really had her back. President Roosevelt, that is. <laughs> and the, the citizens of Indianola, Mississippi, they decided that they didn't want her to be a postmaster anymore. And they started threatening her. They started, you know, stalking her to a certain extent. And, you know, Roosevelt really wanted her to keep her position. And he tried to defend her. He even threatened to, re, you know, to punish the town by being like, you won't get your mail if you force this black woman who was known as being very efficient, very dedicated to like the postal service. He was just like, if y'all kick her out, I'm going to close down y'all route. Y'all not going to get no mail. And they still continued. And, you know, eventually the hostile atmosphere caused her to resign and flee because it got a little too dangerous but that's just one example of a boss lady who was killing the postal service game and then at the same time that's an example of how discriminatory and hard it was for people who worked in the post office 
But even with the racial discrimination, the post office really continued to appoint black folks to high-level positions from postmaster to other positions like the chief postal inspector and postal stamp agent. I don't know what those things mean, but they sound very efficient. (laughs) But, you know, in the South, the 27th president, William H. Taft, he he deaded the whole appointing black people as postmasters. He was like, no, you cannot hire black people as postmasters. So that was in place from like 1909 to 1913. And then, you know, we jump ahead and we see this downturn, right, where like Wildrow Wilson, who's the 28th president, comes on the scene. He initially pretends like he's all about black people and black rights prior to the election because he wanted the vote. Remember that? And then once he in office, it was a different story. And he let his homies, a.k.a. his cabinet members who were like in charge of postal service and all that other stuff, implement segregation and so then all of a sudden if you wanted to apply for federal jobs like the post office you had to attach attach a photo like what is that you know what I'm saying and of course you know NAACP and even some congressmen like a congressman from Massachusetts who was a white guy really tried to fight some of these policies because there was like the railway mail service where being mail clerks would go on the train and that's how they would distribute mail and separate it. And, you know, Woodrow Wilson's crew basically segregated it. Initially, they all, all the clerks would work together on the train. They used the same bathroom. They worked in the same room. Like they rode the same train cars and with, Along with the attaching a photo to your application, they de- they segregated the whole train and they segregated even the post office. So now the break room is for for whites and for blacks only. It was just ridiculous. Woodrow Wilson, the 28th president, is known for like the beginning of, you know, nationwide federal level segregation, which is like, you should not be proud of that, Woodrow. Okay. (laughs) Following him though, like the 29th president, Warren G. Harding, we're going to call him Warren G. just because it seems cooler, like the rapper. Following him, like the 1920s, you start to see you know, integration, and you start to see, again, the advancement of black folk in the USPS department. And one thing that also led to the advancement, besides just changing of the president, thank goodness, is World War II. Because with World War II and more people at war, more men at war, there was a shortage of people working in the post office. And so black folks stepped in in that area. In addition, there was the 6,888th Central Postal Directory Blatoon. Blatoon? Am I saying that right? <laughs> I'll say this again. 6,888th Central Postal Directory Platoon. That w- that was a part of World War II, and there was this group of women, 855 enlisted African American women and officers, who got flewed out to Europe, and as a part of their service, they distributed mail to the officers. So when they landed in Europe, there was a room full of millions of letters. Some of them have been sitting there for two years, and this platoon of Black women, dope black women, were in charge of delivering the mail to the soldiers. 
I can't even imagine. That probably was a hard ass job, but I'm sure they did a great job. And that's definitely something you should remember that should be in our textbooks. And following like, you know, the World War II, we're jumping into like the 40s and the 60s. You start to see the post office continue to remove some of these racial practices. Black folks are not only offered a good salary, they have pensions, they have, you know, retirement pensions, they have prestige in the community and they have job security because now we have unions. And that pretty much sums up kind of the history. Yeah, they make an equal employment opportunity policy in like the 1970s you know black men are starting to be appointed to management positions and they have a couple of strikes and protests in between that one that was in Chicago one that was in New York but those strikes led to increased salaries for black folks in equality and management positions and led to the creation of the equal employment opportunity, you know, agreement that a lot of people talk about now, especially during this era, right, of Black Lives Matter. And they also had like a representative, a black representative that would help people who feel like they were being discriminated against in the post office. And so that's just the brief history of the post office and black folks, you know, working for the post office, generally speaking, you know, minus the different experience of discrimination was really a place of prestige. Like if you had a USPS job, you were respected in the community. You had a decent salary. You had a retirement pension. If it was really far back in the day, you were printed in the newspaper, you know, you were like semi-famous. So that's just kind of like the historical history of black folks in you know, and (laughs) working for the USPS. And it still continues on today. You know, working a federal job offers a lot of security and a lot of stability that a lot of other jobs don't do, like my freelance job, guys. But that's a story for a different day. Now, what I want you to remember are these three badasses in the Postal Service history. The first person is Mary Stagecoach Fields, who served in the post office in 1885, and she served at the age of 63, okay? She's known as the first black woman to do a mail mail carrier route in the United States post office. She was in Montana. She had the toughest route. She drove a mule, and she was going through mountains and snow and cruising past wolves like this is actual fact okay she also was just a badass because she like drank whiskey in town the people really respected her and when montana created this crazy law that women couldn't drink in public mary could the whole town allowed her to do whatever the hell she wants and she was reliable and she was good and She was clearly tough. The other badass you should remember from this in history is Mimi Cox, which I briefly talked about. And she was another boss known as possibly being the first black woman as a postmaster, basically running a post office. And she did that in a town in Mississippi. And, you know, white folks pushed her out, but President Roosevelt was behind her and even threatened to like change the whole mail route for her. Okay, but she was people were really mean and she got out of there and I'm, I'm happy for her. And then the last 
badass. Well, these are like a group of badass, which is the six thousand eight hundred and eighty eighth Central Postal Directly Platoon that was about 855 enlisted black women and officers who were pretty high ranked. They were ran by a high ranking woman, Mayor Charity Adams Early, and they were in charge of delivering mail to approximately 7 million American troops stationed in Europe. And they basically tackled a room stacked with letters that had been there for two years, and they, they sent it out to the soldiers. So those are the three boss people that you should know in postal history okay so just put that in your mind engrave that in your mind for school now you know I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news or anything like that but there's been a lot of talk about like the USPS going into debt there's been a lot of talk about are we gonna mail in our ballots because that orange man is really doing too much to stay in office And so the question is, what is going on with the Postal Service? And this is what your girl found. USPS is in debt. (laughs) Okay, they're not like a government-run agency. They actually are in debt, but mostly because there was this act that was passed that required USPS to put money aside for future retiree health benefits. So it was some kind of crazy 50-year schedule. And in the first 10 years, they were supposed to save $5 billion. That's crazy. So they're basically taking their revenue and putting in big chunks of revenue and putting it away. And even in that, they were not allowed to raise prices of like deliveries or anything like that to compensate for this amount of of overhead that they had to put aside. So I hope that makes sense. And (laughs) so they were like defaulting on payments, you know what I mean? And then, you know, they were eligible. USPS was eligible for a CARES Act, 10 billion. And that took a while for them to get, but I think they got that aid on the 29th. And then there were just other things that happened. Like Trump recently elected a new general for the post office. This is the person who was in the White House that really runs the post office. This person was elected in June. And you can imagine if he was, you know, appointed by Trump. He's not the cleanest person. Apparently, he has investments in competitors of USPS. Think FedEx. Think why can't I think of anything else right now? You know what I mean? DHL. um, What's the other one? UPS, yes, he has equity in that. So he is not really pushing for a lot of the things. He's just saying, oh, we're in debt. So if we're in debt, I'm going to cut back hours. I'm going to cut back routes. And so that is why at one point a couple of weeks ago, the tracking was down for mail. I remember that day. And that's why some people are not getting their mail or mail is super delayed because as the general, this new general guy is enforcing these new day-to-day operations that are 
slowing down mail and it's supposed to save the USPS, but it's not really going to do that because they're already in so much debt. Democrats are trying to do different things to save USPS and to make sure that our mail-in ballots actually get counted. And the House Speaker Nancy, you know, she's that white lady that ripped up Trump's um, union speech. She called... She called like an emergency meeting, really basically ruining everyone's summer vacation in Congress and, you know, to vote on a Delivering for America Act. And I don't know if it really went through, but those are the things that I found about USPS. It's very unclear about the current state of it and if our ballots will be counted. And honestly, I don't think we're going to know until the day, the week of maybe a couple days after when the votes come in. So that's just the general information about the status of USPS. They're in debt because some act made them have to store a certain amount of money away for retirees and then that act also restricted them increasing their prices which would help compensate for all this money they had to put aside and when they applied for federal aid that took mad long the new general who's in charge of the United States post office all of them who's the main man is a family is a is a part of Trump, a Trump supporter. He has stake in the competing in the competing mail thing. So the USPS going down doesn't really hurt him. It's probably in his best interest. And in that, and with that, he has been implementing different policies, cutting people's hours, saying that if you miss, if you can't do a route, do it the next day or the day after that. And so that's slowing down mail already. And they're like, you know, ripping up. You see them ripping up the, I don't even know what they call it, but you know, the things that you put the letters in, make, you know, ripping those up and packing them away. And that's a way to supposed to be saving money, um, you know, ending routes and having them stop at less places. But you're really just taking away people's ability to communicate and possibly people's ability to vote. So yeah, that was a lot of information, <laughs> but you know, the general summary is that black folks have unofficially been a part of the USPS since the beginning of time, since slavery, and that, you know, USPS and black folk have a long history of advancement and turmoil because, you know, discrimination and racism. And then the current state of USPS has a lot of moving parts. There was an act that kind of you know, took money out of their pocket. There was a recently elected general that is not doing anything to help the USPS, but to hurt it. And we'll all just see how it will unfold. And that is the conclusion of episode seven on the history of USPS. Thank you so much for tuning into to this episode. You know, every episode, our community gets bigger and bigger, just a little bit bigger. It's not that much. Um, sometimes it gets a little smaller, but 
let's just focus on positive a little bigger and bigger so i'm just happy um welcome to if you're a new listener please make sure you press subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast so every time there's a new episode it will automatically download to your phone or you'll get a notification if you learned or enjoyed anything from this episode please leave a review if you haven't already and you know reviews are great because they help us rank and ranking means people can find us and more people can join the community and more people can learn and more people can teach me things because people dm me all the time and tell me stuff and give me feedback which i really really appreciate and listen to if you want to take a deeper dive on the history of usps make sure to check out the show notes which is on our website that wasn't in your textbook.com if you haven't checked out the website You know what I'm going to say. You definitely should. It has episode quizzes to kind of like test your knowledge. They're really fun. They're really short. They're really should be called. They're really actually called episode non-quizzes because we don't do quizzes here. You ain't getting graded, but it's still fun. Um, It also, the website also includes links to all the dope guests that we've had on our podcast so far. So make sure you check that out. Make sure you support them. Make sure you buy stuff from them. Make sure you follow them. And the website has this beautiful orange button in the top right corner that says donate. And if you're feeling giving and you're in a position to give because we are in a pandemic and money is tight for many of us, including me, feel free to donate to our PayPal. And lastly, uh, and lastly, don't forget to follow that wasn't in my textbook all over the interwebs, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. We got it. Pinterest. And <laughs> we got it. And make sure to come back, not this Friday, but next Friday, September 25th, where we're going to talk about the history of Harlem Renaissance. Like, duh, because... You know, I'm Tori from Harlem. I'm a Harlemite. And this year is supposed to be the 100th year celebration of Harlem as the hub, as the heaven, as the capital, as the mecca of black culture. Thank you for listening. Talk to you on September 25th. Don't you forget. And until then, remember, knowledge is power.